Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of the DevOps Speakeasy, episode one, where things are a little bit different now. I will be your host, Kat Cosgrove. You can find me on Twitter at Vixie3Flatline. Joined by my lovely hatted co-host, Baruch Sadagurski. Baruch, say hello. Uh, hi, everybody. Yes, we moved uh, the, the host privileges to the, to the better along the co-hosts. And uh, we also made it um, audio only, so you can only imagine my head, but it's here. And where can people find you on the internet, Baruch? Uh, I, I, they know. They know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Edge Baruch on Twitter and uh, everything else. Except of TikTok, I think. Our first guest for this season is the illustrious Aaron Aldrich, neckbeard, bad computer pun king of Twitter. He's on the managed OpenShift black belt team at Red Hat. Aaron, what's uh, up? Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know. Everything's up. It's 2021. Who knows? It's a Thursday. <laughs> there could be new news at any moment. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I am at Craze on the internet, which I will spell for you because it's C-R-A-Y-Z-E-I-G-H, which is one of those like, don't pick the name you're going to have forever in high school, but you know, life happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that bites us all at some point. I, um, all of my gamer tags are super cringy and embarrassing. And I'm still attached to a Gmail account from when it was invite only and I was like 12. So you can imagine how right. cringy um, that is. But we soldier on you could change your Twitter handle. But eh, eh, it's not all your slide decks. You, you, you mentioned it on podcasts. It's just it's part yeah. of your personality now. Baruch's the only one with a sensible Twitter handle here. Yeah, there is J in it, and uh, once couple of years, I need to store. I need to change the story what J stands for. But that's the only thing. It's J Frog, right? Uh, at the moment, it's J Frog, but it was other things, and it might be other things in the future. But for now, it's officially J Frog. J Frog. Okay, there you go. Makes sense. So J Frog is in the business of DevOps. It's the DevOps speakeasy, but particularly uh, we are in the business of enterprise DevOps. We do have a new shiny free tier, but, you know, the bread and butter is enterprise. Red Hat is also all about that enterprise. So what are you doing on the mob, Aaron? Yeah, well, I work with uh, with OpenShift, which for folks that are like, I have probably heard of it because there's enough of a marketing buzz that you've probably heard the name OpenShift, but haven't touched it at all. Uh, is sort of the like Red Hat doing what Red Hat does for Kubernetes, right? And if Red Hat is known for taking your bleeding edge Linux open source stuff and making sure it's doing what it needs to do and is secure and reliable and supported for enterprise, you know, so much the same for Kubernetes, right, is, is where OpenShift comes in. Hmm. Um, the other level of that is uh, if anyone's tried to run Kubernetes, you know that it's not like by itself is fine. I can run my my you know, famously run my blog in Kubernetes, which is ill-advised. Don't do it. Are you actually <laughs> running a blog on Kubernetes, Aaron? I, I really am. And I definitely don't have to because it's uh, running on Ghost, which like there is a one-click droplet available for that on DigitalOcean, but I'm <laughs> the jerk that decided to deploy it on their Kubernetes engine. Why? Uh, it also <laughs> definitely doesn't support multiple pods, but it works. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you do all the, all the wrong things with your blog on Kubernetes. 
Yeah. Right, exactly. It's one of those like, eh, you know what? I need an excuse to learn this. Let me try this out. And now, you know, it's stuck forever as my my engine until I rebuild it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I could deploy that. I got there and it is deployed and it's not super stable. But like you wouldn't want to run especially enterprise production workloads without like deep observability, logging, security aspects to it, all that extra, you know, you're probably going to want to add your service mesh in. And now you've got all these extra services that you need on top of Kubernetes. Sure. Uh, and OpenShift packages a lot of all that in operators and everything else. So you can, you know, a couple clicks and then the next app you deploy automatically has all its monitoring hooked in. There's nothing else for you to do. I, I think it's amazing. Like for enterprise groups using it, it does so much for building the platform for you that you don't have to figure out and architect yourself. This is a way to not do what I do when I'm building something with Kubernetes, which is just like shoehorn a bunch of shit on top of it individually and pray. Yeah, it's it's YOLO commit and yeet it into production, right? That's the <laughs> that's the general <laughs> we, process for deploying are, Kubernetes. We're a developer advocates. We don't do anything in production, so we don't really care. Yeah, that's actually right, my right. saving grace. I don't write production code, so the only person who has to put up with my shit is me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's when you get to the enterprise level and suddenly you have all these things that like thousands of people rely on daily. It uh, matters a little bit differently without yeah, your supporting your app. Yeah, at that point, you may not want to be gambling on like rolling your own. Yep. Yeah, I would rather trust that to another enterprise whose literal specialty is making sure that this thing isn't a fuck up than yeah. gambling on my own very questionable talents. like. A thing about being a developer advocate is that you're never really like a super deep expert in anything other than the products of the company you work for. Everything else right. you just kind of like know on a surface level. Like I barely know what a service mesh is. Honestly, I know. And do you know? I know. I know more now as I'm uh, having to learn deeply about OpenShift, which is like a whole a whole depth uh, of knowledge, but. Uh, the service mesh is going to do a lot of discovery and all of the additional junk you want to add into your Kubernetes. It's going to automatically dump in like sidecars and things like that, depending on your configurations and do uh, load balancing and handle all of the like, now I have an app in Kubernetes. Now what? It's going to do all that extra stuff for you. Gotcha. Rad. So you get paid to talk about making things more stable to avoid right. the problems that you created for yourself with your blog. Yeah, more or less. Right, exactly. It's uh, when I was working for other companies in the observability realm, I used to say it's like, yeah, I just deploy highly instrumented Hello World examples. (laughs) And now I basically deploy like extremely robust, high availability Hello Worlds, right? Like it is in three different regions. I can get to it in multiple clouds, but it's still a Hello World. (laughs) It's still the the spring boot. Will you be redeploying your blog on Kubernetes, on OpenShift? Oh, that's a great question. If I can get free OpenShift time somewhere, that's the real question. Because even locally, it's like I have to make sure I close down my clusters because, you know, enterprise is enterprise for a reason. And a minimum of six nodes is no small, no small amount of infrastructure fees. We've already tried like spaghetti infrastructure for your personal blog. So maybe you should try now and over engineering the shit out of it. Right. Yeah. I've just got to figure out how to get the hosting time at a reasonable cost. And that'll be the... uh, That'll be it. Yeah, I think that's the the next logical step. Because, you know, who doesn't love over-engineering the shit out of something simple? Or oh, how no, do you feel great. about over-engineering? I'm all into over-engineering. I'm certified Java J2EE 
something something engineer. I mean, over engineering was figuring <laughs> for me when I was like 18. I know how to write a hello world with two classes, five interfaces, and five XML files. Holy fuck, dude. <laughs> That's absurd. That's so incredibly over the top. Can you, will you start doing that for like products demos? Uh, yeah, no, I, I just once, just once. That would be fun. I think it was, it was successfully replaced by Kubernetes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now you, I, now you can, now you can deploy a, a multi-pod load balance Hello World. YAML instead of XML. Right. You, you know what? Uh, at first, when I when I first started doing DevRel, which was a little bit more than a year ago, dear listeners, I was really, really paranoid about the demo code other people would see and concerned about being judged. Uh, this is going to turn into a psychological safety conversation, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I was concerned about being judged on the quality of my like crappy demo code at conferences. So I was writing like test suites for hello world apps and the test suites didn't even run i just wanted people to see that they were there that i did you know that you know that you should run tests yeah i don't do that anymore i I got over that but yeah it was a lot of paranoia at first about being judged over not having tests for my shitty python hello world so now i don't worry about that because again I'm not writing production code. It does not matter. The only negative impact is on me. So it's not a big deal. Uh, Aaron, have you uh, run into any weird battling with your own brain type of stuff in your time as a DevRel in various capacities? Oh, for sure. Always wondering, I'm like, what is the what is the weird tech corner that someone's going to call me out on in my like horribly crafted <laughs> demo or conversation? But uh, I haven't gotten fully into TDDD or test-driven demo development as as uh, you started with. Uh, I fortunately, so a lot of my my background comes from the ops side of the DevOps world. So like getting into like DevOps and DevOps style developer advocacy, I've always kind of maintained that uh, I do sort of ops rel or ops advocate uh, mm-hmm. in that my background largely comes from there. So a lot of my programming language embarrassment has long gone out the window. Uh, when I used to like, you know, maintain production servers using a, a handful of poorly written Perl scripts using the dot back version control system, uh, as I like to call it. <laughs> Yikes. Right. It, it's, it's just, it's all been a mess and we all inherited it from someone else who also only barely understood how to write the language properly. So it's like just a series of hacking horrible hacked code until it works the way we want it to. Oh, yeah. And that's like, I think that's something newbies don't they don't realize at first because they don't have the the context to understand at first that like that kind of insecurity and like generational shitty code is just oh the yeah norm. nothing but, like the inherited project yeah no it, it's the actual worst and it's just the way things are and we don't do a super great job of letting people know that but i have actually only once had somebody interrupt me during a talk to try to tell me i was wrong one time it sucked but it was one time he was wrong but have y'all ever actually been interrupted while speaking i don't think i've had someone interrupt me in the middle of a talk i've had people talk to me afterward but i don't think i've had anyone like cut me off while i'm on stage trying to communicate to a whole group of people baruch you yeah so sometimes i invite people to interrupt me especially 
when I know that I have in a crowd people that understand more than me in the topic that, that I speak on, and that becomes like a healthy conversation. And sure. I actually like when they correct me uh, out of rudeness, just someone who just shouts, yeah, you're wrong. Let them try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, that, that first scenario is a little bit different. And I've done that in smaller groups where it's like, hey, we actually all kind of know about this. So feel free to let's drive this conversation somewhere useful instead of me just talking at you. But uh, yeah, rarely in a, a big <laughs> you're I wrong. Delivered, I delivered one to talk that I completely stole from someone's tutorial and mm-hmm. he was sitting in the first row. That's <gasps> awesome. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, so first of all I, I started with hey, this is actually his content. Please applaud. Everybody stood up, applaud to him, so that kind of made him feel good. And then I told him, well, if I misinterpret anything that you did, let me know. And it actually was it was it worked well. But yeah. It worked oh that's good. That's good. You've got the the benefit of being both uh, both Russian and Israeli, though. So you're you're very very loud and very aggressive, and that probably makes it easier for people to just let you do your thing, right? Well, as as we just mentioned, let them try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pick a fight with Baruch while he's on stage at the next in person conference and. As long as it's recorded, please, so that I, can, I would like to see the results. Bring it, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah, first of all, he feeds on that shit, so, like, oh do, yeah, oh. do try. He loves it. So the reason why I feel so bad now is because I didn't have any fight, like, on stage in real life. You don't have stage fright? Yeah. Do you have stage fright oh. at all? Um. Yes. So it never really goes away. It becomes kind of, I want this adrenaline, but it's still hmm. there. It's like when you when you know that you are going to do something exciting, you're still kind of have a this feeling. Maybe maybe don't, but you you want to do it. So this is this is kind of what. What about you, Aaron? You still nervous on stage? Oh, always. I still have the uh, the overwhelming need for everybody to like me whenever I'm on stage. Uh, no, so <laughs> it's like whenever I go out there, it's it's always second second guessing it. Like even even talks I've given before, although those those help talks that you've given a bunch of times are a little bit easier because you're like, all right, I know this. It gets good response. I, I can go out and give this talk. But especially like personal talks, like if it's more of like around the mental health things like that, I always yeah. get nervous before I'm I'm about to speak. Well, that's uh, mental health is harder to talk about in tech just because it's it's sure. less talked about, which always makes it feel I don't know. It feels like um, you're more likely to be attacked for it, and also if you are attacked for it, it's going to hurt way more. Yeah, but it's an important thing to talk about because nobody like normal doesn't really exist. Right, you know, right. there's especially right now where we've all been trapped inside for a year. A like it is my last trip was like February seventh of last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was Fosdem, so I'll have been trapped inside for a year coming up, and it's like nobody is okay, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) That was I think that was the best thing I discovered. Was it like yesterday? Someone uh, sent around Twitter a couple days ago. It was like a a dictionary entry that said "pandemic fine." Uh, the state of being like employed and healthy during a pandemic, but also depressed and tired and feeling like trash all the time. Right. Like yeah. it was like, that's it. That's how I feel. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. Like, are y'all fine? I'm 
pandemic fine. Right? Pandemic like, fine. I am employed. I am healthy. Uh, but everything sucks, right? Yeah. Like we can all accept that. Everything sucks. And I, you know, if anything good comes out of this pandemic, I do hope that it's like the normalization of talking about mental health in tech and mm-hmm. the like the impact of the specific jobs we do on mental health, like public speakers, people with very public personas, like sure. the three of us, we don't really get to have bad days in public. You know, right, our, right. our whole job is public. And so there it can sometimes feel like there is not a safe place or way to have a bad day without literally all of your customers seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this pandemic has grown some stronger relationships, especially among like industry peers in this corner where a lot of us had an outlet of seeing each other and having some time where like we weren't visible to the world (laughs) together when we traveled all over the place. And it's, you know, it's hotel bars and restaurants all over the place. But uh, (laughs) this year definitely made clear like, hey, you know, we should establish some connections outside of just when we see each other at conferences, right? And like, maybe a chat that's not on Twitter would be a good place (laughs) to connect or not in all of the public Slack channels and things like that. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. I'm in like three signal group chats. Right. Of, you know, I mean, they're the same people that I interact with regularly on the internet. But the the context is different on on signal. You know? Having that place to just blow off steam because it's it seems so <laughs> it's so funny. Like if you take some sometimes the things you complain about, especially with a, a any sort of semi public facing job, right, where you have some sort of persona or some sort of public face to it, needs a space to complain outside of that space because sometimes yeah. your complaints just feel so petty, like out of context. You know what I mean? Like in the public context, like how can you complain about that thing? You're like, I just need to complain about it with someone who gets me. Okay, yeah. I just need you to understand this. Yeah, like Chrissy Teigen getting eaten alive the other day for tweeting about like accidentally ordering a $13,000 bottle of wine. Right. And she got absolutely eviscerated for it on Twitter. And like, of course, that's not relatable. Most of her followers aren't also, you know, millionaire celebrities. But she probably just wanted a place to kvetch about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Probably but, not Twitter for that one. But, yeah. yeah, but here's the problem, right? Twitter is like a global space. It is. Very different set of people from very different cultures and backgrounds. It reminds me about a very noble thread about sharing each other's salaries. You remember that? And how no, that happens every once in a while. And how that backfired like spectacularly when developers from Nigeria saw the compensation of Netflix SRE. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was for it was for a very noble cause. It's just someone didn't think about how global. No, it's it's interesting. I've done those. Uh, the salary one's actually interesting, uh, if only because I've done a lot of those conversations in real life at uh, like DevOps Days Open Spaces. We've done the Pay Talk or Talk Pay. DevOps uh, Days Open Spaces are local, right? No, exactly. Yeah, but they tried to do it again at, at Ghent uh, last year. Well, nope, not last year. Two years ago. Oh now, uh, 2019, the before times Yeah, that, the, uh, the for the 10 year anniversary, it was the 10 year anniversary of DevOps days. And so uh-huh. consequently, we had organizers and people from all over the world because there was some organizer summit beforehand. And uh, it was just interesting trying to have this conversation, in that context. And I think they did pretty good because, you know, DevOps days and it's an open space. So there's like a lot of communication happening to try and context set where what these numbers mean. Like, because what we get paid sometimes in the U.S. might seem really high compared to what you get there. But like you find out in Germany, everyone gets a company car. 
right? Like that's just a fact Wait, of working really? there. Uh, I don't remember if that's what it is specifically, but it's something like that. There's like some European country where it's like incredibly common to get a company car. Like that's super common perk, but like we don't do that here or health is just covered, right? Like, so for right. us, like a benefit of, well, my healthcare is fully paid. They're like, yeah, mine too, but I don't have to do that for my job. Generally, the US, in the US, you make like 40% more than in Europe and that's just a part of life. You don't right. that there are no like good enough excuses or cover ups from the other side. They just get less money. This is why a lot yeah. of people want to move here, regardless of everything else. It's just in the end of the day, if you have more money in the pocket, that kind of mitigates the fact that you need to buy a car or pay for for a sure. insurance. And that's okay. This is where Netflix is and that's a fact of life. And Netflix is a whole other animal beside the fact that they're very much throw a bunch of money at you. And if you don't earn it, then you don't get you. you you're gone. Bye. <laughs> exactly. exactly. They, they do throw an outrageous amount of money at people though. Yeah. Like of the, oh, of yeah. the same company. They all, and they also people. throw the people out very quickly too. Like it's, it's one of those like, yeah, it is uh they will throw a lot of money at you, but if ever you're not performing at that level, they're very quick to say, Hey, this isn't working out. Here's, you know, six months severage. How can we help you find your next thing? Oh, they don't even pip you. You're just like you're no, out. Just, just over. Uh, like Yikes. there was a it, the, it famously happened to the the person who came up with the policy. I'm, I can't remember all the details because this is like third hand stories at this point. Where I want to say it was like the concept was in a year when you're doing the evaluation, you want to think, would I hire this person again? Right? Like, would I make that same decision now? And if the answer is ever no, you should let them go. Right? Like, if you wouldn't hire them now, why are you still employing them? Like, let them go. Sure. And uh, famously, the person and executive who came up with that policy also got let go, right? Because it came to the point like, would I hire them again right now? And it's like, you know what? No, I I don't need your particular skills anymore. Like, you've done a lot for us and have gotten us here, but we really don't need to keep you employed at our payroll. So we'll help you find the next thing. Here's a generous severance package, but the future's not here, right? Like, you know, let's go find the next thing. On the one hand, I do think that's a little bit brutal. But on the other hand, if they're giving like a six month severage package and helping you find right the next gig, like that's that kind of it's kind of a funny balance of like yeah. they're very high standards, uh, but they're not going to leave you completely out to dry if you don't meet them. Cool. But yeah, they're they're big on FNR, which is their their freedom and responsibility, which is like you have a lot of freedom to do just about whatever you want there, but also you are you you answer for everything that you have done. Right. Like you have to answer. Why did you do that thing? I, I like that. Um, I get a lot of freedom in my current position to do whatever I want. And my boss and Jay Frog, yeah. Baruch is my boss, trusts that I'm making the right decision. Baruch, uh, you're, you're functionally my boss. Maybe technically you're not, <laughs> but functionally you are. But you, with you the, trust that your, uh, with the, you know, with the speed that you are moving, uh, I believe it will be the other way around very, very soon. Well, I do have more Twitter followers than you. So that's the only well, criteria as far as I know. Exactly, this is exactly how hierarchy uh, is built in JFrog. Whoever more, have more Twitter yeah. followers is the best. Yeah, and when I have more Twitter followers than the uh, the JFrog account, then I'm the CEO, right? And you are the owner, basically. Yeah, okay. shares to you. Yes, Brad. But point is jfrog gives me a ton of freedom to do my job however i see fit i do have to answer for the decisions i make but so far nobody's had a problem with it and so far result, so good <laughs> doing good so, so far, far i've made good we're choices also, we're also afraid 
telling her that she done she's doing something. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's reasonable. Um, you know, I am I am fairly loud and utterly unafraid of expressing my opinion in public. So fair. But a lot of DevRel is like this, you know, typically you do have a lot of flexibility in how you choose to do your job. And the result is that we've ended up with some really cool community driven stuff like DevOps party games and this new thing Aaron is trying to do. Aaron, would you like to talk about your new nerdy thing? Sure. My uh, my new nerdy thing is, is tabletop DevOps, which if DevOps party games is your I want to play Jackbox games, but DevOps Mine is like, hey, I want to play some board games, but DevOps. Although the DevOps is sort of is sort of tentative and in the corners of this one, uh, extremely. So a lot of times, my goal is just to get a bunch of DevOps friends together and and have some fun. The DevOps but, yeah. community is very like I don't know. It feels like we're much more social by the na- very nature of DevOps being collaborative in order to work. We're we're much more social than some other. There is a bit of self-selecting for like friendly folk that like to just, you know, talk to other different folk, right? Like when the the whole movement is based on like, hey, maybe we should go over to that department and actually talk to them. You know, it's I guess it self-selects for that that personality type. So we started with a game of werewolf, which is sometimes called mafia uh, by other people. But uh, the idea there was it's actually little known. It was a DevOps Days staple where Andrew Clay Schaefer. Uh, would frequently suggest werewolf as one of the open spaces and it would frequently make it up onto one of the the thing the breakouts uh so yeah for one of the breakouts people would often just play werewolf or there would just be a game going the whole time during breakout sessions and that's the thing i like really really miss about in-person conferences is just like playing games with them pie cascades has something similar there's always a game room and i want to say last year but it's two years ago yeah, it is. It is exactly. It is a little bit more than one year ago. But Pi Cascades before last, they had like a bunch of people doing board games. There were some people playing Werewolf. There was also like a Switch setup, and people were playing Smash. And nice. that's always and Smash gets like so competitive. So it was a it bunch of so people like, getting angry, screaming at each other in this room. But nobody was actually mad. That's just uh, listeners. If you've never played Super Smash Brothers before, that is just just a thing. It's just a thing. So don't be I've always out. taken that. See, I never got into the, the very competitive, like professional level of Super Smash Bros. Because mine was always like, I just want to see how many people I can get into this room at the same time and create yeah. as much chaos during a fighting game as possible. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And I, I always go like Pikachu or Jigglypuff yeah. or something. because I, I have the new Smash, but the last time I played Smash like seriously was on the Nintendo 64 or the GameCube. Oh, yeah the game yeah, yeah. one so i have not bothered really learning any of the new heroes i'm just here for maximum chaos on pikachu or jigglypuff <laughs> just <laughs> pure chaos just, as much as possible fucking them up just fucking them up but <laughs> there's a lot of overlap between that kind of nerdy stuff and the devops community because social collaboration is what we're supposed to do and we all miss playing games with our friends at work mm. so what's the uh what's the next game do you have a date for it and a anything Uh, like that or where we're working on on setting the date uh because i need to find all of the people and coordinate a a date for the last one but i'm really excited about this one actually it's going to be sometime the end of february sometime probably within the last week uh we're going to play a game called 10 candles which is a uh role-playing game in the tragic horror genre uh tragic horror would be uh horror so is is a spook uh, and tragedy, so everyone dies. 
And it looks fantastic. I was introduced to it by Josh Zimmerman, who has a an idea for it. He wants to run the scenario and has a, a story in mind for it that's a little bit more like tech focused. So I'm really excited about that one. And uh, the idea is you're you're telling this horror story together, and your characters are all going to die. Uh, but how they get there is going to be the interesting part, right? Like maybe you have this character goes on some heroic journey and tries to save the day and ultimately sacrifices themselves, or maybe you're you know, push to your brink and die in a, a, you know, shameful and alone doing the things that you would never expect to do, except you had no other option but to try and survive. Right. So <laughs> it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out. And, um, yeah, I watched like a demo for it when I first heard about it and instantly was like, oh yeah, this is, this is neat. This needs to be, be played and, and shared. So yeah, we're trying to work out how to, how to adapt it for virtual space and then trying to get the right people together. And we'll kick that off the end of February. Hmm, exciting. So where can people watch to find out when that's going to be happening? Is there a a Twitter handle or a website, perhaps? Oh, always you can follow. So on Twitter, you can follow at tabletop DevOps, all one word, because that's how Twitter works. And we broadcast on Twitch at twitch.tv slash deserted island TV, which is kind of a I think it's still sort of soft spoken and underground little group that's slowly assembling of folks in the tech world that do live streaming, trying to kind of help each other out and and build each other's platform here. Yes. So they listeners will not have heard of this yet. Deserted Island TV came out of uh, Austin Parker's deserted Island DevOps animal crossing conference from last year when we caught lightning in a bottle early on in the pandemic and we're never able to recreate that. But it was the single most joyous conference of the year. A lot of us were involved and it was lovely. And out of that, Austin has put together Deserted Island TV. So a bunch of us in this pandemic have been streaming one-off things and not getting much traction out of it. And instead, we're going to do what DevOps does best, which is talk to each other and collaborate. Yay. 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 Isn't that sweet? And the CFP for Deserted Island DevOps 2021 is open now. So if you make your way to, oh man, I only only forgot the joke. I only forgot the joke domain, which was desertedisland.club, but sometimes .club has problems with certain DNS resolvers. So your mileage may vary, but I think it's desertedislanddevops.com or desertedisland.club. And you can find the CFP there, I think. Yeah. If you literally just Google Deserted Island DevOps, you'll find it. Oh yeah. Or use the Google. We'll use the Google. But we are coming up on time. Aaron, is there anything you would like to uh, shill or shout out or close? Yeah, just uh, shameless self-promotion. You can find me on Twitter at Craze or Craze.com for my blog. Uh, You should probably go to learn.openshift.com at some point and check out OpenShift if, uh, if you're in the enterprise or you think that's a thing that you might like. And uh, check out Tabletop DevOps at the end of this month at Tabletop DevOps and stay tuned for the announcements. Rad. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. I hope our listeners enjoyed this. I'm sure they enjoyed at the very least the soothing sounds of your radio voice. (laughs) I do what I can. We're going to try to release uh, two episodes a month of DevOps Speakeasy on a regular schedule this season instead of uh, dropping, you know, five at a time and then going AWOL for three months. So 
Look out for a regular schedule of releases on DevOps Speakeasy. I am Kat Cosgrove. You can find me on Twitter at Dixie Free Flatline, and you can find my co-host Baruch on Twitter at J Baruch. Baruch. I'm not good at pronouncing his name. It's it's inconsistent. Anyway, have a good night, day, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Bye.